Hey, excuse me. Is this the Alaskan Air Service Desk? Yeah. Oh, great. Hi. I'm supposed to be on a flight, the 930 flight to Manila. And? Uh, well, I don't see a plane. There's no one over at the desk. And there's a bunch of passengers very confused. We're all just standing around. I went, I looked at the schedule. It says it's on time. And I haven't heard any announcements. I don't give a fuck. You don't give a fuck. All right. Well, don't, don't you work here? Like in customer service? Look, man, you're the one who showed up here in 2022 thinking you'd buy a plane ticket and just get on a plane and go. All right. You know what? Oh, I think I see Richard Branson over there. So I'm, I'm out of here. Yeah, can you hear me? You? I hope that first one saved. I am laughing so hard. We, you're like, oh, what the fuck? I lost it. I literally have been laughing. I'm crying. I'm crying right now. What the fuck, Rick Rogray? Yeah, dude. Hey, uh, 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 bend over. Coming in hard. The yeah. fucking bullshit. Yeah. Jeez, the technical shit, dude. That's crazy. Um, so, uh, offline, we got like fucking great content. You're welcome. Would you ever hear that? <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. Uh, but also, we're way too inappropriate to have a mic going all the time. So, it's like, we're damned if we do, we're damned if we don't. Yeah. <laughs> Let's cut it. I'm like, it's still out there somewhere. It's still out there somewhere. Oh, today. Today, we are chatting about the Philippines. Now, what the hell would TMI have to do with the Philippines? Tony? So, I lived there for some periods of time in 2008, 2009. And it was a very big learning and growing experience. Just living abroad. Also living abroad in what's technically considered a developing nation. Led you to have the opportunity and or why were you living in the Philippines? This was in the wake of 2008. So this was like right around the time when recession was the biggest new buzzword that was going around after the, the market crash and the real estate bubble and all of that. So there were a few other things that created sort of this perfect storm of opportunity for me to do that. I had gotten laid off from the job where I was working. I was at State Street. I was the first round of layoffs at State Street. And then started interviewing and I was lucky that I did that. It was actually a good thing that I did that because I think I did three interviews. One of them went normally. It was like the third one, actually, oddly. But the first two, in the middle of my interview, someone from senior management came down, like, sweating in a panic, like, panting, and, like, interrupted the interview and then pulled the interviewer out of the room. And then I sat there for a half hour, and they were like, sorry, we're not doing any more interviews. You have to go by. And I was like, okay, this is a really significant sort of thing. I'm not going to just land another job easy. Mm -hmm. Right. So there was that. I was also just getting out of a relationship that I had been in for four years or so. I talked a little bit about that on the episode with my sister. And, you know, for anyone who's done that, gotten out of a long-term relationship, you know sort of what it does to the mind, right? So there was a, a part of me that just needed to shed this feeling of who I was supposed to be and, and, and take on something new and move on and move forward, right? And, and embrace change. Then there was a friend of mine who I had been doing some side work with who is, is it's basically responsible for why I work in information technology now. 
is because of this person who had a computer store, a computer repair shop. His wife was from the Philippines. They were living here and they were doing great. And then one day they went into like a supermarket and it was my friend's wife and she had her kids and they were grocery shopping. And someone, a kid broke some, some other person in the grocery store, a kid, the kid broke something or, or did something and the parent got mad and, and spanked their kid in the grocery store. Well, someone called the police and the police separated the kid from the parent. My friend's wife saw all of this and she went home and said, are the police allowed to take your kid away from you in this country? And my friend said, yes, uh, the, and the government, if, you, if you're mistreating your kid, they can do that. And then she basically bought the next plane ticket back to the Philippines. So he was like, I'm moving back to the Philippines. So I was like, oh, that, that sounds cool. I'd like to see, you know, I'd like to see that. Then, you know, there was a lot of conversation and deliberation and, and well, where are you living and, and all that stuff. And then I was like, you know what, I'll just, I'll go. I had, I had some money from the last job that I was doing. The cost of living there is, is very cheap if you live within your means. And when was I going to ever do anything like this? Right. So that was what got me when I got there. So getting there from the Eastern continental United States is it's almost the opposite. Right. So I flew out of JFK 16 and a half hours to Hong Kong over the North Pole. And just for anyone who hasn't, if you've been to Australia or something like that, you know what I'm talking about. More than, than like 12, 14 hours on an airplane is like uh, a nightmare that you can't wake up from. And you're like, I have to get off this plane. So just, and, and you can't. And then you look and you're like, oh, I have eight and a half more hours to go. Oh my God, I'm having a panic attack already. <laughs> like literally. So just, it's, if you're not prepared for that and you're making a trip like that, you might be arriving in a certain mindset that is, you know, not just full of wonder and possibility. <laughs> right, full of regret and concern. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Then when I got there, I was just rely, relying and hoping on, on the fact that my friend was going to pick me up at the airport and had last contacted him basically a day and a half earlier because it was about, about 24 hours total with the layovers going from Boston to JFK to Hong Kong to Manila. But then he was there and, and so that was great. And just everything about, everything I saw in that, in the first few hours, we, we got there. My friend Aaron, he took us to a hotel. Nothing super fancy, but it was, a, it was a cool place. And then the next day went to his place and then we found an apartment and were able to move in there like, I think on like day two, basically, like uh, after two nights in the hotel. And in that time period, I th that's the period I remember the least from because I was just seeing so many things I'd never seen before every second mm -hmm. continuously as long as my eyes were open for that first few days that it was absolute complete sensory overload bombardment I was exhausted for days and mm -hmm. and was thinking it was because of the airplane and I would like and it wasn't because whenever I would close my eyes, just like the, these, these rapid fire images, like a slideshow, like on high speed would be just flying behind my eyes. Mm. And it was just processing. There's so many things and, and, and they're, they're seemingly insignificant, but like just the fact that um, they just, they don't know how to cue in that country. They, they don't know how to get in line. Nobody gets in line. They form a big ball of people in front of something. Everywhere you go, literally everywhere you go, they cannot get in line. And that, that was one of the things where I was like, 
that's to me like I don't decide to stop at a red light. Like, I don't, <laughs> right? You know what I mean? And I don't like I don't make a decision about am I going to get in line or just sort of walk up to the counter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was weird to me that there was a whole culture. Isn't that crazy? Because we, as a culture, have been like conditioned to stand in line, get in line, don't get out, right. one head in front of the other. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Yeah. It, just so many things like that. And then the literal, like physical things that one of the first things I remember noticing was seeing people with a plastic bag similar in shape to like what your newspaper might come in, right? Uh, with a straw sticking out of it and like dark liquid. And I was like, what, what are they doing? And, you know, I didn't ask, but mm-hmm. then, a couple days in, like, I would like to get a soda because I'm a soda junkie. And I have a, I've always been like trying to not drink as much soda even today. And so I went to get a Coke and everything's in glass. They don't use plastic. Bottles. Oh, I love that. So, and they use cane sugar, not corn syrup. So it tastes very different. It actually tastes a lot better over there. And so they reuse those bottles. So when they're done, they send them back and then they rebottle them with Coke. Done, Philippines. Right? So what they do is you buy a Coke, they open it, they pour it into a bag and give you a straw. So you're still actually using, you're still actually using plastic, just this weird sort of, it was this weird sort of plastic that I'd love to look into it because it didn't feel like anything I've ever felt produced in the United States before. Uh, is it like, is it biodegradable? You think it starts to break down? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was definitely like a lot less tough, but it just had a weird feel to it. That was kind of organic actually. Yes. So yes. And that's what people were drinking, walking down the street, drinking, right? And then the fact that a lot of people didn't buy a pack. I was a sm- smoker at the time. They didn't buy a pack of cigarettes. They bought a sachet, which was four cigarettes in, it looked like a Kit Kat. It looked like one of those individually wrapped Kit Kats. Like that's uh-huh. the size and shape of it. Like um, the ones that come with only two bars. And then you'd open it and there would be four cigarettes. And just things like that that I had never seen before. And well, that one with those cigarettes, because when I was a smoker, I was like, cool, pack a day at easy when I was in college. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like well, our broker show because a pack of cigarettes was a pack of Marlboro, the most expensive cigarettes you could buy over there, was 24 cents American. So I just thought, pack. You know, fucking 24 cents American for a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Dude, what were you like? The fucking cane over there? You must have been living large. The amount of money you were like, awesome. I'll have 17 packs. <laughs> yeah, it was. So you like, the thing is, of course, there's tourism there. So like you can spend all your money if you want to. You know what I mean? And so it was learning that and like living within your means, uh, my means and then learning like where to go eat. Because if you don't live there and you are going to a local like Chef Brown, Chef Joe, like that's what they, you know, a lot of places would just name, name it after themselves. And you go to their shop, I would get white rice and fried chicken and a fried egg was like, that was like a common breakfast thing there or like a roll. Because they deep fried it and like, I wouldn't get noodles because how long have they been sitting on that shelf in the 96 degree heat oil on it? And if you live there, it's like, that's how you've eaten everything your entire life. You're not going to get sick, but I would have. Of course, because you're you know pathogens that are there. So then there was this decision-making process through everything that was really a lot. It was just a lot at first, the basic, get my basic necessities. And so funny story, when I moved into that apartment, the way the middle, I would say, see, when I say middle class, you're going to think American middle class. I'll say it like this, the way the majority of people in the Philippines who have 
property because it's also a lot of squatter areas and they take care of their, their impoverished there. They really do. Everyone looks out for each other. But if you have some kind of property there, chances are you're not like a doctor or doing really well. So your average class, when you take a shower, you, you fill up a bucket with water and you have a scoop. And when, when we went to the apartment, they gave us the bucket and that came, that was, that stayed with the apartment because that's how you washed yourself. So you fill up the bucket with water and then you scoop the water and dump it on yourself and then soap up and then you scoop the water and dump it on yourself and then dry off. Right. A lot of bathrooms are sort of like half indoors, outdoors too. Like they're, they're shielded from view, but you're kind of outside. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I went to take a shower and no water was coming out of the faucet. So I was asking the landlord about it. And then like the next day around the same time and it happened again, like it was just dripping out of there. So then the landlord went over, talked to my friend's wife and there was all this discussion. And then my friend Aaron had to come tell me basically what happened was at times when everyone in the area is using the water, you don't get it. You have to wait for an off time. That's just like how it works throughout this whole city, pretty much. And they're replacing our water pump because we're from America for us. And I was like, we'll pay him for that. Like, and they're like, no, like they'll take that as an insult. And, and so I was so flabbergasted by all this. And I was like, okay, great. But like, now I know I just, where can you find that out? Like, you know what I mean? That's what yeah. happened to figure for me to figure that out. Right. And yeah. that the number of things that happen on a daily basis like that was, was overwhelming. But then as I, and I became accustomed to living in a different way where also around a lot at 12 o'clock, what we consider usually in America to be lunchtime, almost nothing is open. Usually each like neighborhood, each like block, city block will have one place with like one kid in the, in the, the Surrey Surrey store, they call it so that you can get a cigarette or something like that. But from 12 to one and, 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 and which would often end up being two, everything was closed. It was too hot. Everyone was inside. They were sleeping. Everyone went home from work for a nap, the siesta, right? And then it would be dinner time and they would. You know, brought a little eggplant maybe and fry it up and, and maybe we'd go get a scoop of rice. Anything we ate, we bought that. We were buying chicken, rice, whatever. We would go and buy it that day at the person with the person who brought it from that morning, the stuff that was picked that morning or the chicken that was killed that morning or whatever. And then between midnight and two o'clock in the morning, it was like a fucking party in the streets. Just like. The, the cottagers did not expect to be able to drive down Luberant Street in Bakuod because there were just vendors selling fried squid and, and, and teriyaki sticks and, and puff pastries and kids doing cartwheels in the street and people playing music and sitting around at the restaurants and eating. The biggest meal of the day was at one, two o'clock. And that was so crazy to me. And like kids were because they slept that day away too. And their work schedule built around it. And it was so unusual to me, especially growing up in the Boston area where, you know, there isn't really, what's it, 24-hour 7-Eleven? Yeah. And that's it. You know, even the, there aren't even, you know, 24-hour clubs and bars in Boston, right? So, so that was totally foreign to me. But it was amazing how quickly I got into the same rhythm almost immediately, uh, sleeping when it's hot. And then when it's night and it's finally cool and you can go outside, everyone's outside and you socialize. And that's where I met all, all the friends that I had while I was there. Uh, most of the time was, was that time period. Wow. Just to think that it gets that hot. Mm. Oh my God. I, T, like I've heard you talk about it. I've never heard you talk about it like this. Yeah. I'm, I'm like, I'm, the listener right now i'm like so and <laughs> so tell me what you did for work. like what was your work life like what was your 
how long were you there? Give me some more details about not just the culture shock, but now that you found your rhythm, right? Like you said, you found a group of peeps, you found your rhythm. Like now what happens? Do you just, does it feel like you've always been in that society? Do you forget what it's like to be American? Like what happens once you're immersed into that culture and the rhythm? I miss the Philippines. There's a part of me that feels at home. And I mm -hmm. wasn't even there. I wasn't even living there very long. The first time I was there was three and a half. Oh, God. I, I, don't quote me on this. It was like three and a half or four months. Mm -hmm. And and I, I never found work that whole first time. We went looking for it. We were going to set up an internet cafe and we had the, um, the magic jack. Remember the magic jack? Yeah. Plugged it into your, and, we, and, and we figured out that you can plug it into a, a computer in the Philippines and call the United States for free. And, and so we were going, because it was a U.S. number, if you registered it in the U.S., right? Oh, right. And you were calling U.S. to U.S. as far as magic jack was concerned. So we tried to set up like an internet cafe and then the fucking... Internet Cafe Mafia came in and built another one that was like bigger and had bigger signs and cheaper prices and more Magic Jacks and links out of town. And um, it was it was tough. And so what we did was we said, let's go. Cherry called it home. It, it was confusing at first. We're going to go home. We're going home. Where are we if we're not home? Well, Cherry, well, Eric's wife was from a province. He wasn't from Manila. They grew up on an island called Marinduque and in a town called Buena Vista. And it's rural. So I think there's there's seven thousand plus islands in the Philippines that make wow. up it's like seven thousand nine hundred and nine or one one. So we had to take a ferry there and you 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 know, most of most of the islands you have to ferry to, they're not close enough to bridge, you know, so you can drive over them. It's it's been pretty wide area, right? And so we went out there. Then you want to talk about more culture shock. I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to come across sounding like a typical American. I see how good, yeah, you use your words wise. <laughs> we got to Marinduque in the morning. What I usually did from bre for breakfast was there was, you know, like two or three streets in, in the center of town in, in Buena Vista. And there would be a kid every morning. And I say a kid, I mean, he was probably between eight and 12 years old. And he would be riding. Literally, it was an ox pulling a cart. Some kind of ox. It was an enormous beast pulling a wooden cart but filled with mangoes that had just been cut down from a tree. Uh. So I would, those mangoes were a peso, which is uh, two, two cents American. God. So I would usually buy like two mangoes and then cut the, the halves off and eat them for breakfast. I'm usually sitting under a banana tree or something and constantly looking over my shoulder because there were enormous, enormous, uh, brightly colored insects, which indicated that they were highly poisonous insects because you're just in the middle of the fucking jungle. Oh and so I'd be walking by a banana tree, go to put like my arm on, on a banana tree and they'd be like, oh, look out. And there'd be a spider the size of my hand that was like aqua blue and yellow. And I would be like, like, they laughed. Oh, how they laughed at how that scared me because I'm an arachnophobe. So I'd be like, uh, 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 and then they would all burst into laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then, you know, they would mess with me. That's just a little one, you know, and shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was like not even waking up and going to like the, the guys because – in Manila, like those little restaurants, that's just like the first floor of their apartment is that restaurant. And so like that was a big shock to me then. And then going to where like they don't even really have restaurants. Like if you're hungry, any you can walk up to anyone who's eating and they will offer you, you, you some of their food. And that's almost like universe. 
I, I've never met a, a friendlier, more welcoming group of people oh, in my life. It, it, was, it was amazing. So that was an even bigger transition there. And uh, my friend's father-in-law worked for the local municipality, he worked for the, the town, essentially. And they were putting in a phone system. There were no landlines on this island, or at least not in, in Buena Vista. And there were cell phones and like, you know, it was like Metro boost style cell phones and everyone like bought minutes and mm-hmm. did it that way. But there weren't any landlines anywhere, but they were setting up a landline situation with, so that the municipalities and the other towns could call each other on the island on a landline. It was like part of their like disaster recovery shit that was, mm-hmm. they were doing. And so I... I was like, I'll, uh, can I, I'll help out with that. Basically, can I get a job working, you know, with you guys as like a contractor, like, uh, you know, since I don't, I'm not a resident and basically just help them with digging and doing some stuff there. And then it was, I didn't even get paid. I just never had to spend any money. Like my lodging was taken care of because they don't have any money, but they have food, they have a roof, right. you know, like, and then. When we were going to leave, someone killed one of their pigs to have a big pig roast for us. And so I have these pictures of me with like a crown on with like all this confetti and candy that they like threw at me. That was like this sort of ceremony that they did when someone visited from another country. I love these pigs. (laughs) Yeah, but that was, uh, I mean, that was really living in in nature and just seeing things, you know, that there was, there was just other differences and I'm hesitant because I I have such a deep respect for, for them, but they, they eat dog and cat there that, you know, there's so much more that I'm not saying. And I'm like, you know, okay. <laughs> I was like, dude, I can watch a person get hurt. I can handle all of it a second. It's an animal. That's why I'm almost 100% vegan. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah. okay, that's good. As I'm right. looking at my dog, <laughs> where is my cat? Oh, and I know, and it's just a culture thing, right? Right. It, it's just that it, wow. Had you try it? I'm just curious. You don't have to answer that. No, no, my friend did. And, and he thought it was pulled pork like until way later when we told him what he did. Oh my God. Was he all right after, like, that knowing that? Well, because he was drunk. So <laughs> he was like, fucking delicious. Yeah. And, um, oh. yeah, I just didn't want to. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you would be hesitant to do that, wouldn't you? Yes, absolutely. I would not. I don't think I could. Yeah. I don't think I could. And I know that it's very disrespectful from what I understand to not, because they're going above and beyond, because they're sacrificing their food, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like treating you in such an honorable way to to turn it down. I Yeah, they know that. And, and it was funny because that night when my friend ate some of that, it's funny because ASO, A-S-O is the word for dog in Tagalog. And uh, it's funny, like asshole. Um, <laughs> um, he was like, we were with the firemen. We were friends with the firemen in our community. So we would go drinking with them all the time when they got off work. And they just ordered a bunch of food. Because you always, you can't drink a beer without food. And if someone got beer or alcohol and brought it somewhere, it was this really awkward ordeal where it was like, oh, you forgot the kulutan. Like, I'll go get some pulutan. It's okay. It's okay. I can buy the pulutan. And like, they would, because that was what they called food when you're, when you're drinking. And, and then someone would go get it. So, so the firemen would order all this food. And then they were like, you won't like this one. And they kept it on the other side of the table. And I suspected right then that it was either dog or cat. Uh, Don't tell me what I'll like. No, no. And, um, then so I said to the dude, I was like, "Is that Aso?" And he was like, "Yeah." And I was like, "Okay." I was like, "Aaron, you wouldn't like that." I didn't want to offend other people. Sure, sure. We were only Americans in the place, you know. We were. This would be like if 
some like rural, like Scandinavian person moved to and didn't speak English and moved into Blue Hill Avenue. Yeah. Like that's what this would be like if we were in other Americans. Like I did see other Americans, usually Canadians or Germans that spoke English, but very infrequently and not in my neighborhood. Like it would be when I went to the mall because just because I needed to go into a building that had air conditioning. So I would just go walk around the mall and stay cool. You know what I mean? Um, I'm jumping all over the place. No, I like it though. But how you how how else are you gonna have this conversation? You have to jump all over the place. It's not linear. Yeah. Like and then on Tuesday of month one, right. you know what I'm saying? Yep. <laughs> so no, you have to be all. Um, what was like like all right? So I want to get into more costs of things because this is blowing my mind. You're like, yeah, so it was four cents. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what is actually happening here? What's the cost of living like there, like overall for a person who lives there? I'm not saying an American. I'm saying like somebody who lives there. How much do they need to make in order to survive a month? And So they're in an unfortunate situation. I think they just got a new president there. Um, and, and Obama, he, he went there and, and tried to negotiate with them out of this. But you can't leave the Philippines without a visa the the government will not allow you to depart without a visa so that usually means a work visa or a marriage thing so i was constantly everyone wanted me to marry their daughter Uh, um and they were they were respectful about it and i just remember one guy saying uh you know, my daughter could have a better life in America. And I was like, yeah, I'm not. I'm looking for a wife, bro. And he was like, he saw that I was hesitant. And he said, hey, I understand that not every American is a millionaire. And I was like, oh, okay, thank you. And he was like, are you a millionaire? <laughs> <laughs> and like part of me was like, yes, I applaud that dude for asking. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah seriously. But I'm sorry, I was digressing. So because of that, because you need a a work visa or you need a visa in order to leave, what you have is not enough work for the amount of people who live in any given area, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So unfortunately, it's often the case that in Manila, my friend's mother-in-law, wife, his his three kids and three of his wife's four sisters lived in a two-bedroom apartment. Oh, my God. Basically, one of them worked as a nurse, but that means like two, four to six-hour shifts a week because if they're going to let – like they have to let other people work too. They're not going to give you a 40-hour-a-week job. They got to let other people get a little, at least some income. So they divvy up the work schedule, right? So that you get, you know, you can get something. And then a lot of those jobs, it's like you can do that for two years and then you can't come come back like for four because they have to give other people who haven't worked in the last four years a chance to start work. They have an unbelievable system for trying to be fair about the distribution uh, and payment. Wow. Uh, of, of money so that people can survive. And unfortunately, there's a lot of prostitution. And that is the only way some families can feed themselves because they're just up, right? And it's sad. Yeah. That said, the cost of living needed that preface to understand that, that they, got, they get really creative about it how they do that and the laws about how much you can sell rice for they produce so much rice in that country and you know rice is sustenance so it can't cost more than a certain number of pesos and then cockfighting is a thing it's such a thing there that there are places that look like a high school football field or even sometimes an adult and it's a cockfighting arena. And I don't know if I should say this. The one that I went to 
was the Purina Arena with the four, the red and white four squares of the Purina logo, like the cap chow. Wait, were they like sponsoring it for real, for real? Yeah, it was the, it was the Purina Arena. They sponsored or owned the arena in some capacity. I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's like a, a, a wholly owned subsidiary that's only Filipino owned. I don't, I don't know the details. I never looked into it. But the cockfighting. So if you lost the cockfight, you took your chicken home. No one, no one could, you know, there would be like guards and like security personnel making sure that the person who lost that cockfight takes their chicken home and gets to feed their family with it that night. Right? If you got the cockfight, you got enough money to that, not a ton, but you got enough that you weren't going to worry about eating meat that You know? Right. Um, Sorry. Sorry. So to feed their so family. All of that said, you could get by on like I don't know it's crazy because like 200 pesos could go a long way and that's four dollars or you could blow 200 pesos on like a 40 ounce and a bottle of nice brain you know what I mean so yeah. but it could also feed you for the better part maybe a whole week if you didn't eat meat with every meal wow. and then the rent we, I used to joke with my friend and say, is rent optional in this country? Because they wouldn't have enough. And then the landlord would be like, well, that's like, we're in the same fucking boat. You know what I mean? And, and mm-hmm. they, they weren't really paying anything anyways. Yeah, like, meanwhile, but, landlords here are like, oh, yes, family too. You're a single parry. You don't have enough money to get. Oh, go on the street. You fucking yeah. can. Bye. Bye. Oh, my God. And there was no segregation of. There were bad neighborhoods, but it had nothing to do with income, really. I mean, uh, you, the rich neighborhoods obviously weren't mm-hmm. bad neighborhoods. But what I mean is there would – I remember on the way to the mall, I would get off the jeepney because because they didn't have, like, buses. They would have taxis, but taxis were expensive. So they had every World War II jeep that ever went to that country during World War II still running. And they hollowed out the back and turned it into fences. And someone drives a route and, and you go and you give them like two pesos. And then you knock on the roof when you want to get off. And that's how you get around the city, right? So I'd ride the jeepney down to where the shopping mall was. And then I would get off and I'd walk to the end of the street. And then I would take a right and there was Starbucks and if you went in that Starbucks, I went in there and got coffee once because it was like 50 pesos for a cup of coffee. And I was, I was like, that's a fuck rip off. Like, <laughs> it was like a dollar, like, you know, it's just a dollar in the better terms. But, uh, but I was so used to living within my pennies. Right. And so there was, it, it was just like you went into any Starbucks around here. It's like it was built to spec for however they do it in Seattle and in the United States and the uniforms, the whole shit. The only difference is there'd be like a bird or a cockroach in there because they built a city in the middle of the jungle and there's just nothing you can do about that, right? But otherwise, it looked like that. Then next to the Starbucks was like a cardboard box and corrugated metal squatters village. And then on the other side of that was a shopping mall that was like, the South Shore Plaza and its day. So, and no one was worried about getting jumped. Like, people would run and beg for coins and give them some. You know what I mean? If you had some to give, you'd give them some. And there wasn't this, oh, we don't want our poor, poor people next to our Starbucks. Like, that. They, they wouldn't even conceive to think that way there. Right? Like, what are we doing wrong here? Yeah. No, in fact, like, seriously. I'm I'm like blown away right now. I really am. I have like to if you... call up one other thing because now I'm like really like going back there in my head. All right, good. Tell me. And this is going to be kind of gross. And I think okay. it might be eating. Okay. So right. in the city in Manila, someone's cooking somewhere always. And so there's this delicious food smell everywhere. However, 
Also, their irrigation sewage system works like this. You flush the toilet. When you cross the street, you have to take a big step over the side of the the sidewalk because when you flush the toilet, it goes out into a gutter into the street and then down into the river. Oh, God. So when you when I first got there, there was this absolutely confounding smell that was a blend of 50%, the most delicious food I've ever felt, smelt, and 50% human shit. <laughs> and it was so confusing to my brain. <laughs> but then you just get used to it. And then eventually, if you go there for two weeks, you won't, you won't really get used to it. But eventually, you, you really start to not smell the sewage anymore. Yeah, it goes uh, nose blind to it. Right. What they call it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just because smells such a, so closely tied to memory, that just jumped back into my head and I had to call that out. But, um, absolutely, because that's a whole other aspect of the culture that you need to talk about because that's a, uh, an important detail of your experience. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, I don't think I can share this story, Michelle, but you know, one of the most impactful. There's, there's some, there's a lot of stories I can't share. I cannot share. So we'll just mark this as an editing point. But the one about the local in the neighborhood, like three months before I had got there, there was someone who like attacked or sexually abused a kid. Remember I was telling you this story and I was talking to the cop about it. And then I was like, well, did you get, did, did you catch the guy? And he got all awkward and was like, I got to go and hopped on his police motorcycle and left. And then they were like, you shouldn't have said that. And I was like, why? And they were like, because we all caught the guy. We found out where he was and everyone dragged him out in the street, beat him to death and threw him in the river. And the cops all live in this neighborhood. They were all a part. Like, that's what you do when you hurt children in our community. <laughs> again, what are we doing wrong in this country? <laughs> like, again. So, but there's a part of me that wants to go back to, like, letting communities take care of community. Like, mm-hmm. seriously. And I get it, and I understand, can't do that, blah, 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 but I, that sounds pretty damn good to me. Yeah, right. But I love that one. Maybe we can keep that one. And that, but there was other stuff, and there was a, there was one shitty cabbie, and I said we shouldn't get into that cab, we should get into one of the government cabs, and Aaron said, let's get in this cab, and then that guy tried to fucking take us somewhere fucking funny and play funny games with us. So we had to like pull a knife on them and, and then, and like, you got to talk about the other parts. You got to talk about the danger parts because this is why most people won't travel places, but there's so much more good than bad. Yeah. Let's talk about this kind of risk. So if you don't mind, I understand the stuff you can't talk about, but share a little bit of like, all right, what is the downside or like really scary side of integrating into a new society and culture? Is that you don't know what you're not supposed to do. People who live there and grew up there don't even know that that's something they would have to tell someone. So as a result of that, and as a result of things that I saw on the news, I just, I never went down a dead end street ever. And if I go back to Manila, I will still not go down a dead end street because I was like, okay, and that would be why. Because there were situations I witnessed personally and situations on TV where someone would walk down a dead end street alone and then a a group of thugs would come out and he had nowhere to go. Uh. And then they would attack him and jump, jump him and people lost their lives. So me being like, I don't know how to differentiate. I don't know how to differentiate in any other way than saying the problem with that situation is that they were on a dead-end street and there was nowhere for them to go. So what I'm going to do is not go down dead-end streets. Yeah. There probably is nuances to that, right? And neighborhoods where, like, they're the fucking friendliest people in the world, you know, and and it's fine. Of course there are. But where you see that once, okay, that's scary, but, that you know, then you see, like, that, like, six times... Yeah, you know, and you're like, I'm not doing that, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, I'm not. So, also, know where you're going and how, and understand 
the preferred method to, to travel somewhere. Like in most countries, the cab drivers who are at the airport are sanctioned government cab drivers. And that is because they can't really, they don't really have the resources to stop someone from getting or making a cab and pretending to be a cab driver or, or just deciding that they're going to be a cab driver, but then possibly keep in mind, this was, this was always, so, I mean, there was a lot of Al Qaeda specifically, it was specifically Al Qaeda. I mean, just everywhere, just, it wasn't mm -hmm. just Philippines, but, but, mm -hmm. but especially that in that whole area of the world. So unfortunately they would kidnap people. It wasn't common. Mm -hmm. it, it, it really wasn't common. And I don't know what was happening in that situation that I was in, but the government cabs, you're generally safe in. You're also going to pay four or five times what you would pay not in a government cab, but they're like licensed and tracked and GPS and like, mm -hmm. because they rely so much on that tourism for income. If yeah. you can even get off an airplane and be safe and get where you're going safe, then you can't travel. So they, uh, most countries make sure that that's the case, but mm -hmm. understand w where you're going, how you're getting where you're going. And it, you know, your intuition is so important because there are so many good people and by comparison, it's just like a million to one. There were so many good people everywhere. And it wasn't hard to get a sense of a decent person. And then when you encountered someone you didn't get that sense from, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe politely decline whatever it is that they're talking to you about, right? Yeah. Wow. I can't imagine. Like, I went to Guatemala to... Obviously, when we adopted David, and I was there nowhere near months, you know what I'm saying? And I, I can't imagine having to be so submersed or in the culture and needing to read new social cues. And it just blows my mind because you have this entire experience in 2008. Yes, it was long ago, but it wasn't long. And I've never heard you talk in depth like this. Like I've heard you mention and base explain it, but never in depth it's like blowing my mind it's yeah tell me do you still i know you said like oh those are my friends and i know you keep in touch with some of them so tell me about the journey since you left how was it coming back into the states right and now reintegrating and tell me about your connection with the people that you met along that journey yeah so coming back to the U.S. was e almost equally as strange in reverse. So on that trip, I laid over in Hong Kong. So it was another 16. When I laid over in, in Seoul in South Korea, that was uh, almost an 18-hour flight. But because um, um, I went back for another two or three months. So when I came back, I flew into Washington, Dulles. and it was like I was waking up from a dream because I was back to what had been famil familiar to me my entire life, but it seemed foreign to me. Yet, I also felt a sigh of relief that I didn't need to constantly calculate anymore. Mm -hmm. So it was, a, it was a strange feeling. I remember I went up to... Um, I think it was um, like the L Bar legal seafood place in Washington Dulles, and got a beer, and I couldn't, I couldn't even drink it because it was so cold, and it didn't have ice in it, and I was so used to having a beer that no matter how cold it was, when you poured it, it was it was eighty degrees in the minute, and so people just kept chipped ice around and put <laughs> it in the beer so it would get so hot. Yeah. And so I was so used to drinking my beer like lukewarm with ice. And then I get like a like a tall, frosty glass of like Sam Adams. And uh it was too much. And then ordered some food and realized that my stomach had shrank, ordered an appetizer and couldn't finish it. 
And wow. so that was bizarre. And I remember the bartender was really nice, really handsome, 20 something year old guy. He was really polite, <laughs> but he was looking at me like, are you all right? Yeah. <laughs> I think, I don't know what's crazier into the new society or reintegrating back into the one mm-hmm. you, or, you know, that you were always a part of. Right. Because thinking, I didn't even think about it. What about when you got a soda and I was out of plastic? Mm-hmm. Was there anything different around that? Having something in a plastic rather than a glass? Yeah, that was, I had to tell myself, don't put your soda in a plastic. Because <laughs> that's weird. Does have a plastic bag? Anybody? <laughs> right? Because that's weird here. But when I came back for, oh, good month or two i asked for a bowl of ice of cru- preferably crushed ice with my beer i was i was a more regular drinker at that time but i just couldn't i just found it it just didn't hit my mouth correctly <laughs> you know like i had a couple beers every night in the philippines and the top of the beer was cold because of the ice and that was a hard one to give up yeah the soda thing was that I that was when I that was the actually I think the first time I ever took like a twenty ounce Coke and poured it into a glass because the plastic bottle, like the plastic bottle freaked me out when I got back. I was like, why do we make so many of these? What are we doing with this? the way they're doing it over there? Is bad. I was just confronted with all this stuff. So like when I went to, I was in Norwood and went to a shop in Norwood Center and had to get food because I had to buy food. Like it was a while after I came back, I was at my mom's and then got an apartment pretty quick, like within like a month or so, and then had to go grocery shopping. And I walked into Shaw's, looked around, started to walk down an aisle, put my basket down and turn around and left because I had not seen that many choices in months. So you had just a lot of sensory overload here as you did there, if you think about it, just in a different capacity or different level, right? Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, I didn't prepare for it the way my options were rice, maybe some kind of meat, some of the weird vegetables and fruits that they had over there. They had these things that were like, they, they might've just been fiddleheads, but that was like a common green vegetable over there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what they look like. And then they had, uh, calamansi limes, these little limes that are the size of like a grape. Mm-hmm. Otherwise wait till midnight when food vendors come out and you know what I mean? If you were going to buy something like your options were pretty limited, meat and rice, you know? And so I went into the grocery store thinking I need some yeah. meat, need some rice and maybe some snacks. And that was the problem. I remember the aisle I went down was the aisle that had cheese hits in it. And I was just like, what the fuck? This is too much for me to process right now. Oh, you know, and yeah. and it's too much. You just way too many choices. The the prices were foreign to me, and I was like, all right, I'll have to be very specific with my grocery list, and then go get that stuff because I was. If you, I would have been like one of those memes. If someone was like. Hey man, um, are, are you okay? I'd be like, why fuck? I gotta be okay. Back off, man. <laughs> in that grocery store, dude. I'm stressed out. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So so adjusting back was was, yeah, very different. And then didn't and it's kind of funny because like you know you can get like the Mexican Pepsi at at the grocery store and that ha- that one's made with cane sugar and like. Occasionally, I would do that, but I, I, my soda consumption went way down when I got back. Oh, I bet. Um, because I was like, this tastes so much more artificial. Like it's artificial enough drinking it with the cane sugar, but now drinking this with the corn syrup, it's kind of really gross. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of change. And then, oh man, for uh, close to a year, my breakfast was usually. It was white rice, and hot sauce, and, and an egg, which is what I ate for breakfast almost every day over there. Mm. And 
occasionally I would get like chicken fingers the night before and save some because it was usually a piece of fried chicken, white rice, and an egg. That's called sea log. And they also, oh, dude, had this stuff over there. And if I told you what was in it, you wouldn't eat it. But it was bomb. It was so good. And it was um, seasick, seasick, like, like seasick, except with a G on the end. And it was like, it was pork and like all these spices and like a little bit of vinegar and some mayonnaise. But, and like you could eat it like with a fork on a salad with like tortilla chips. It was so good, but it had, and they would drop a, a raw egg on top of it while it was sizzling hot that would cook on top of it. But it had heart and brain in it, pig heart and pig brain. Oh. And so you can't make that here. Yeah. And, you know, over there, it was like the dude's pig. Sure. Like, no, there weren't huge pig farms. Every, you know, block, someone had like six or eight or 10 pigs. Yeah. You know, at all mm -hmm. times. And, and so I think it was a very different. Also, the beef. Holy shit, dude. The beef over there. So you would pay, like, instead of paying, like, you know, 10 cents a pound for chicken, right? You might pay, like, 60 cents a pound for beef so people didn't really eat beef because there weren't any cows on that island. but what i found out was they didn't irradiate the meat they didn't do ammonia with the meat and what they were getting was kobe beef from japan mm -hmm. and so and because no one would be able to afford you know japanese or american prices for kobe beef yeah right they bought it for cheap because of uh, it, it's for the people of that country. And then they would sell it for like a pound. I remember when I got burgers and made them one night, I was like, these burgers are fucking crazy. I was like, these are so good. And we didn't even put it in. And, and then we, we figured that part out about it. But yeah, I know I'm jumping around again. No, again, again, you're going into it, which is fucking crazy. Mm. It's just such a, like, I know it's such a big chunk of your life. Not really a big chunk is what I'm, excuse me. It's not such a big chunk of your life, but it does have such a profound impact, especially when you go back and look at it. I don't think you've even allowed yourself that permission to go back and look at it like this. Mm -hmm. Like, it's awesome to see. It feels like it was yesterday. Like, listening to you, I feel like you literally just got back. Yeah. Or like, it's been like a few months and you're just like looking back at it. It feels so fresh and new. Would you go back and, and I know you said part of your heart is there and that you love it there, but have you ever thought about going back and bringing EB and Kara? And oh, I would love to do that. I can't wait until EB is old enough to be infected with my love of travel and then have be able to go have that with the whole family to go, you know, everywhere, but to be able to go back there you know, for a vacation this time, stay in a hotel with air conditioning where there aren't spiders the size of my hand, you know? Uh, <laughs> well, because, dude, there was one living in my door. I told you that story, didn't I? What? It, inside of, <clears throat> so my door going out to my bathroom, which was kind of a back porch that was closed to. The door was hollowed on the inside, but it was just an old, shitty composite wood door so there were cockroaches that got in our apartment and we didn't we tried not to eat in our and so we killed them and then i was like what do we do just throw in throw them out the window and the, the kid i was with was like i think if you put them outside the door then it tells other cockroaches not to to come here because it's danger which was incorrect when it comes to cockroaches and cockroaches are a, a huge food source for larger insects as well. So, so he put them outside the bathroom door, then went outside to shower, and this fucking spider crawls down from inside the door and goes over and, like, very easily with its front two little mandible things, um, scoops up this big fat cockroach. I mean, its legs were like cigarettes. Its body was like almost the size of a deck of cards. I, this was like a creature. It, this was not like what you would think of as a spider. You know, it's something you'd get like a baseball bat for, you know? 
Tony, I'm, I'm like, you know, the like when you feel like you have the, you get like the willies. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Dude, you had the willies. Imagine standing there completely naked, covered in soap, with nothing, and and you got soap on your head, and you got to rinse. You got and and you're like, I'm like rinsing my face and like rubbing my eyes real quick and looking back to making sure he's not darting at me. And then like, dude, it's but, going in the uh, I mean, like, all right, well, looks like we're living with soap on this. And so my buddy was like, I know what we'll do. We'll go to the mall, go to the mall hardware store, and we'll buy good old American, uh, you know, spend 500 pesos, and we'll get good old American grade. Right? Yeah. And we'll spray rain up it. <laughs> And I was like, I thought about it. I said, let me think. Like, I think I we like, need a gun for that. Right? Yeah. So what I said was, maybe, maybe, maybe that would work. It might work. However, the alternative could be that that thing was huge. And, and hear me out, it didn't get to be that big by like crawling around on people. Right. It's clearly a reclusive thing. Also, if the rate doesn't, it's going to say, I need to get out of here and I need to find somewhere else to live, uh, preferably close by. And then what are we doing? Because or you, you push it off. Yeah, right. Or you, if that worst case, you piss it off and it just starts trying to attack you. And fucking who knows what the fuck. You know, it looked like it was like a half a pound. Oh my God. So, so I was like, I say we just leave it where it is and we don't bother each other. And move up. We don't feed it. We don't feed it. We don't bother it. And then that's what we did. And we started calling it like old Bessie for some reason. We started calling it old Bessie. Because occasionally like, you know, someone next door would like drop something wicked heavy and it would, it would shake. And then you would hear the skittering inside the door. I don't, I'm not trying to get pregnant. That's not my intent here. But when you would hear the skittering of some massive thing inside the door, yeah. and they're all messy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to. You got to play it like that. You got to name it. You got to befriend it because otherwise you right. can't exist in that space. Right. You know? Yeah. an arachnophobe, you know? Fuck, man. Oh, ah, ah. Right. No. But, yeah. So that, that, you know, that was like the biggest getting used to. And there were times where I was like, I'm forking up the rest of my dough and going to live in civilization part of fucking hell, dude. And like, you know, there were times I felt that way, but then I was also like, I don't need to do that. And I don't believe anything's going to happen to me while I'm here. I really I truly don't believe that. You yourself in the culture the way that you did, that you didn't go into like, like the comfort Americanized version of living in the Philippines. Like you went mm. and you actually live the Philippines. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I find that really awesome. And then I'm still in touch with my friend, from the firehouse is now a jeepney driver. He doesn't work for the fire station anymore, but I'm still in touch with him. I'm still in touch with one of my friend's sister-in-laws and one of her friends and a few other people. Some of them, depending on where you are, like in the city, their dialect of Tagalog is like 60% Spanish, right? And when you get out to like Marinduque, it's like 85 90% Tagalog, like original Islander Tagalog and like 10% Spanish because Spanish conquistadors came there and that's why they have that beautiful skin and everything because they, they you know, were indigenous Islanders and mixed yeah. really heavily with the Spanish in the 1600s. And so Spanish is such a big part of their, their culture. And it's clear to me that some of them just who had their English was like, and we communicated great. Even even people who did, didn't have very good English by facial expressions and, and mannerisms. I remember I had a whole conversation with my friend's father-in-law, and he didn't actually say any words in any language. Mm. And he was like, mm, and like shook his head back and forth, being like, yeah, could be maybe. And then he was like, ah, 
And that would be like, no, I don't like that idea. Like, <laughs> you know, and it was like, so it was still very easy to communicate with them. But my point was, I sometimes I can tell that they're like using, they're going heavy on the Spanish, throwing it into Google Translate, and copying and pasting it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I wouldn't expect anything else, but sometimes the, the it comes through a little janky, but I still do keep in touch with them. That's so awesome. I love that. That's lifelong peeps then, you know, that experience. Yeah. You some lifelong people. That's such a beautiful thing. Oh my God. Well, that's fucking awesome. Thank you for sharing your, your story with me and the world. It's always so amazing to go a little bit deeper and to hear the incredible journey that that was and just to see the impact. It actually explains a lot of things like your, some of your perspectives and the way it's shaped you. I now see even more so in your personality now knowing that story deeper. Oh, really? I'd love to know what those things are sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we'll, sit, we'll go over that. <laughs> it's amazing. Just really thank you for being raw and sharing that. Of course. Yeah. All right, dude. I will fucking talk to you later. Have a good yes. day. Yes. All right, buddy. Awesome. Bye. All right, bye.